If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn over to Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, you can find uh, both scripture readings there in the bulletin. We're going to read a little bit from the Old Testament and the New here. Uh, Like I said at the beginning of the service, we're going to spend a few weeks in January talking about spiritual growth. Um, To be a Christian is to grow. Uh, Peter wrote, you can grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, just like physical life, spiritual life must grow. Uh, You're not alive if you're not growing. Uh, But we want to look at a few different characters in the Bible, to a few different people, to see uh, how God uh, works that growth out. What what are three different profiles of Christian growth? And today we want to look at this uh, great figure of Moses. Uh, The context of the passage is uh, Moses has been successful. He's followed God's calling to deliver Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they are headed on the way to the promised land. But while Moses was on top of the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, I mean, while he was getting the very Ten Commandments, Israel was down at the foot of the mountain building an idol and worshiping that idol. And so when Moses came down, he threw the the tablets down and they busted into a million pieces. That was sort of like a uh, an analogy for the relationship that God made with the people. It was, it, was, it was shattered by their sin. And yet, Moses has a conversation with God that we're going to read here in, in Exodus 33, where he asks God to restore three things. He asks God to restore three things, not only for him, but for the whole nation. And I think there's a key uh, to spiritual growth that we can find this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Then from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ 
as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. This is God's word this morning. It's amazing, um, isn't it, how tied we are to purpose as human beings. Uh, If you don't know the reason why you're doing something, it's really hard, isn't it, to get the motivation to keep doing it. Uh, I remember when I was uh, in school, especially in math class, this happened. Uh, Every now and then someone would raise their hand and say, teacher, why do we need to know this? How is this ever going to be useful in my life? This was especially true when we got to algebra and geometry and all those, you know, fancy uh, formulas and things. Kids were always asking, when will I ever use this? And our poor math teachers always had to come up with some answer, some example, the most obscure thing sometimes. You'll use it when you do this or that. And uh, it did not convince us very much because a lot of times uh, we knew those situations they were describing we would never, at least in our minds, we would never have to face. And so it put a big dent, didn't it, in our ability to be able to really apply ourselves in the math classroom because we didn't think there was a reason. Well, Moses here, I think, whenever he comes down the mountain and he sees the Israelites, they've completely lost the plot in their life, and they started uh, making this calf and worshiping the golden calf, which, by the way, they, they in their mind justified it in this way. They thought... We're still worshiping God, but we're just using the calf as a method to worship God. It's going to make God more tangible to us if we have something to look at, something to touch. That was their way of justifying it. But Moses knew that was completely out of God's will. In fact, God on on the mountain had given not just the commandment not to worship other gods, but he had given a commandment not to worship God by images. And statues, that was the second commandment. And so when Moses saw that the people had lost the plot, he himself has to get back to basics and rediscover in his own heart what the main reason for serving and worshiping God really is. And so he has this conversation where three different times he requests something from God. I hope you noticed what those three things were as we read through. Three different things he asks for, all of which have a common theme. Moses asks first for God's ways to be taught to him. You can see that there in verse 13. Then in verse 15, he asks for God's presence to be with them. You see that in verse 15. Uh, And then there in um, verse 18, famously, he asks for God to show him his glory. Each of those three things has the same thing in common. They're all three very much about God himself. In fact, what, God said, or what Moses says in uh, verse 15 is so telling about Moses' state of mind. I think we can learn a lot from it. He says, if your presence does not go with us, God, don't even send us up from here. In other words, this is the mathematics that Moses had been convinced of. Listen to this. This is his mathematics. The promised land minus God equals precisely nothing. That was his mathematics. The promised land, and you can fill in the blank with anything this morning. Whatever it is you think you need from God today, it could be, you think of it, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. The greatest thing that you can imagine that you might need from God. That minus God himself equals precisely nothing. Without having a genuine face-to-face, heart-to-heart relationship with God, All the blessings we might get from God 
amount to zero. Do you believe that this morning? I want to tell you, if we don't believe that, we will not grow. Or at least we won't grow as Christians. We may grow in other ways, but we won't grow as Christians. Because the heart of Christian growth is knowing that life, at the end of the day, is all about glorifying God and enjoying Him. It's not about getting stuff from God, primarily. Although I think every one of us in this room would recognize we depend on the stuff we get from God, too. All that stuff, without God, turns to bitterness, turns to dust. In fact, all of it will be lost. And so Moses says, God, show me your ways. God, let your presence go with us. And God, please show me your glory. Let's look at those three things this morning as we think about our own spiritual growth. Uh, you can find them outlined for you there in the bulletin. Uh, first of all, Moses asks for the ways of God. And th that's something that we all have to learn how to desire. We have to have a hunger and thirst to be taught God's ways. Uh, look at what it says there in verse 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Uh, why is Moses asking for this? Because after the people had sinned with the golden calf, uh, way at the beginning of chapter thir of 33, uh, God had said, Moses, you're still, don't worry, you're still going to go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I I'm pulling out because this people is so stiff-necked. They're so stubborn. If I keep walking with you, I'm going to end up killing you. That was basically what God said. I just, I'm, I'm holy. I cannot mix with a stiff-necked people anymore. You're going to go. I'll send an angel or something like that, but I'm going to hang back, and I'm not going to go with you. And so Moses is quite confused. Because even though the people of Israel hadn't got this lesson yet, he had already gotten the lesson that the promised land minus God is precisely nothing. And so he said, God, I'm confused. I must not understand your ways. What good is it? If you send us through the wilderness into the promised land, if you yourself are not going to go with us, teach me your ways. Show me how you operate. Show me how you want us to operate with you in this relationship. Uh, maybe you noticed uh, there in verse 13 just how relational the request is. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Moses knows that to learn God's ways is based on a relationship with God. God, if you're pleased with me, if I've found favor in your sight, then reveal to me how you operate. Show me how you want me to operate. Not only that, show me that so that I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. Moses' request to know God's ways is based on a relationship with God. God, if I found favor, show me. But it's also for the purpose of a deepening relationship with God. Lord, show me your ways so that I might know you even deeper and understand at an even deeper level that I have found favor in your sight. Uh, Moses is not asking for merely academic knowledge of God. He's not asking for just theoretical understanding of God. Moses wants to know how to live with God. In a friendship with God. 
Did you know that the Bible often describes a human's relationship with God as that very thing, learning to live together with God? All throughout the Old Testament, it talks about following, you know, uh, keeping God's law as walking in God's ways. That's the phrase it uses, walking in God's way. In the early church, in those days, right after the resurrection of Jesus, before our faith was called Christianity, long before it was called Christianity, it was called simply the way in the book of Acts, the way. There's something to learn here. Sometimes we think, we'll even say things like, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Or it's not about do's and don'ts, it's about a personal connection and experience with God. And we set those two things over against each other as if they're enemies. But what Moses understands is the kind of relationship God wants with his people is like a marriage relationship. And like a marriage relationship, it's no good simply to have the wedding and then live apart. After the wedding comes the real business of being married, doesn't it? The cohabitation. Uh, Maybe you discovered some things in the cohabitation you didn't know when you stood at the altar and gave your vows, right? I think probably most of us did. Even the honeymoon doesn't show these things. It's by the daily lived in and out experience, isn't it? The ups and the downs. Uh, the things that we say and the things that we don't say that go unsaid. It's all those little details that only the spouses themselves can pick up on that begins to build the marriage relationship. And for Moses, he understood that is what God wants with us. That's what God wants with Israel. And that's what Moses wanted from God. He wanted to know God's favor and therefore to know God's ways and to learn how to live in the ins and outs of everyday life according to what God had said in his word. In the book of Colossians, it puts it this way, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him and be built up in the faith. It's not enough, y'all, to just simply at one point in life pray a prayer and accept Jesus as Savior and then go about your business as if you weren't cohabitating with the Almighty. That that, that doesn't work. In fact, that's not the kind of relationship God has ever promised. The, The key to Christian growth is to understand we're in a cohabitation with God. The kind of relationship where we need God to make his home with us. We need God to make his home with us. And we need to make our home with God. And so Moses says, God, show me your ways. Teach me how to live. Tell me what is right. Tell me what is wrong. Tell me what you love. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what you're like. Tell me what you're not like. And while you're at it, do that for the whole nation because obviously they're over here worshiping a golden calf. Obviously they need to know your ways. They don't know it at all. Show us. Very important question this morning if we're going to think uh, in these next few weeks about how to grow spiritually as individuals, how to grow spiritually as church, as a church, how to grow as families this year. Do you hunger and thirst to know God in this way? Important question. Sometimes, Unlike Moses, more like the Israelites down at the foot of the mountain, we are seeking things from God rather than God. 
Rather than a relationship of marital cohabitation with God, we're looking for a business transaction where we do a few things for God and then God does a whole bunch in return for us. God, show me your ways. If I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may continue to find favor, so that I may continue to walk with you. That's the first thing. The secondly, uh, Moses asks God for his presence. It was God who brought up the very issue of presence. Look at verse 14. The Lord replied to Moses, My presence, notice it has a capital P there, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Uh, The word presence there is the word for face. Face. God literally says, Moses, my face will go with you. Now, what do you think that means? Why why would God say, you got my face? Because, well, I mean, the face obviously indicates God will be watching over them, for sure. But face, at this time anyway, also indicated direct presence. Uh, They didn't have FaceTime in Moses' day. Or Skype, you know, where you could have face but no presence. We can have that today. Back then, to have the face was to have the person. Face equals person. And here God says, wait a minute, I'm not just going to teach you some lessons. I'm not just going to teach you my ways. You're going to get my face. And Moses says, oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking for, God. I'm glad you brought that up. And so he says there in verse 15, if your face does not go with us, do not send us up from here at all. We have no need for the promised land. We don't need milk and honey flowing out of rocks and stuff like that. We don't need all that stuff if we don't have your face, your person, your presence. I love the subtle difference there. Uh, God had said to Moses, um, the you in verse 14 is singular you. Singular, where where God is saying, Moses, don't worry. Even though I've abandoned the nation, I'm going to be with you personally. And, And Moses turns it back around and says, oh, no, God, don't do that. Go with us. In a way here, Moses is foreshadowing Jesus, isn't he? He's showing us what Jesus would one day do, where Jesus didn't just earn the presence of God for himself. He earned it for all his people. On the cross that day, Jesus lost the face of God because he became sin for us. The world went dark on the day of crucifixion. Jesus had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you taken your face away from me? Jesus lost the face of his Father so that we could regain the face of our Father by faith. This is what God was saying he was going to do for Moses. And Moses says, yes, God, you've brought up the very thing I want to talk to you about. Don't let the nation lose your face. Why? Because that's the only way that we're going to be any different than any other nation on the face of the earth. It's the one thing that distinguishes your people from every other people. Look at verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the whole earth unless your face is with us? God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt so that they would be a holy nation. 
a kingdom of priests, a light to the world. In the same way that God saves us today for that same reason, so that we might be a blessing, so that we might be a light to the people around us. Well, how in the world is that possible if God himself is not with us? Moses says, look, I don't want your stuff primarily. I don't want the milk and honey. I want you to live among your people because it's you among your people that is the real power. It's the real thing that sets us apart. That's important to know. Have you ever noticed how in advertisements, like in uh, commercials, companies are always trying to like, sell themselves based on what makes them different than all the other competitors? You know, even in something, I mean, are, are, all, are cell phone companies really all that different from one another? Really, I mean, truly, I don't know. Maybe they are, but they really try to sell it hard. You know, AT&T is the, the largest network. Uh, Verizon is the most reliable network. T-Mobile is the cheapest network, you know. They're always trying to pitch us on the little things that make them different, supposedly. Well, what makes the church different? What makes your life different? Uh, What makes your family different than other families? What should be our marketing slogan as a church? Well, I'll tell you, sometimes we make it out to be many things that it's not, right, don't we? Uh, We say, hey, come to church. We've got great music. We've got great people. We've got great pastor. We've got, you know, we think of all these things. We we do that with our families, too. Look, our family is an educated family. Our family values, you know, personal time together. Our family values this, that, and the other. None of those things are evil. But do you see the heart of Moses here, which is really the gateway into growing in your spiritual life? The heart of Moses is this. The only thing that can truly make us different as a nation is, God, you are with us, and you are at work in our midst. That's the only thing that can make us different. If church is not about the place where God dwells with his people, it ain't about much. And if our families and if our personal lives are not about, aren't marked by the fact that God has settled in and has made his home with us and he is actively at work in the ins and outs of our lives, we are not much either. It's important to remember this because, listen, I think self-reliance has always been a danger for the human heart. Self-reliance, always a danger. But maybe it's more so a danger now, maybe more than ever. Because of all the other things that can distinguish us, the technology and the thing, we can do things faster, more efficiently, more effectively than ever before. And it can make us feel like, man, we're getting things done because of us. We're special. We've, we've got the special stuff. We've got the special, you know, possessions and tools and all the things to distinguish us by our own work and power. Rather than understanding, you know, our life rises and falls on whether God is with us or not. Do you remember when Israel went to battle in the Old Testament? Uh, Sometimes they would go into battle and they would lose. Sometimes they would go into battle and they would win. At the end of the battle, um, do you remember often this happened? Someone would ask, why did we not win? And the answer was always the same. The Lord did not go up with us. 
When they won, same thing. Why did we win? Was it because Saul was great? David was great? Jehoshaphat was great? The answer always came the same, because God went up with us. <laughs> I want to let you know, I'm just, just how, how do I pray for our church? How do I encourage you to pray for our church? How do I pray for you? I, mean, I pray for all of you often, and I pray for your families, and I pray for your spiritual development. What do I pray when I pray for that? Oh, God, go up with them. God, be with us. Visit us. Visit us. The great times, you know, if, if you read uh, church history, uh, the great times of revival and renewal that God did among his people all, almost always were preceded by a period of prayer for God's showing up. In the colonies in the 1700s, the, the American colonies, they had what they called concerts of prayer. Where they just got together and just pleaded with God to be present. In the 1800s, when a revival came to New York City, yes, even New York City experienced a revival. It happened because for years, men uh, working downtown met together at lunchtime for prayer meetings. And what did they ask for? God, show up. Go up with us. If your presence does not go with us, don't lead us anywhere. In Korea, the, the amazing um, movement of the gospel that happened in Korea in the 1900s was preceded by days of prayer. <coughs> days on end. I'm not saying prayer earns God's favor. It does not. Let's be clear on that. God gives his favor by his grace. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, God says to Moses. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But I am saying this. If the heart of God's people does not desire the face of God himself, then we're bound to go astray. We're bound to go astray. But if our heart learns, God, what we need most is your face. The way to life is paved right in front of us. What makes us different? If it's not God visiting with us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Now lastly, Moses, and, and somewhat climactically, you know, this is a, a high point of the passage there in verse 18. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And he says it this way, now, Lord, show me your glory. Now. It's amazing uh, when you think about it because... Had Moses not seen God's glory by now? I mean, Moses saw the burning bush. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. Uh, Moses saw the plagues of Egypt. In fact, those plagues happened by his own staff. Uh, Moses was there when they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and all the Pharaoh's army was inundated by the water at the end. Uh, Moses saw the pillar of fire that came down and rested in the middle of the people. I mean, Moses was on the mountain when he heard the voice of God give the Ten Commandments and saw the finger of God write them on tablets. Moses, it says in, in uh, chapter 33, verse uh, 11, used to speak with God face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
And yet this Moses, who's seen all this stuff, says, God, now, now it's time. Show me your glory. Isn't that crazy? Why does he ask that? Because Moses understands what everybody understands who's seen just a little bit of God's glory. He understands there's always more to see. When you start to see the glory of God, you you find that you're staring into an ocean that has no bottom. You know, a vista that has no horizon line. There's no end to it. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. And Moses says, look, I've tasted enough of this glory to know there's more of it out there. There's more where that came from. And God, now, now, please show me your glory. And it's almost like Moses is asking to immediately go to heaven. God, I've seen your earthly glory. I've seen sort of the the back end of your glory. But God, I want to see it face to face. I want to see your glory without anything between me and you to block my view. I want to see it without any any, uh, rises and falls. I want to see it pure, straight up. Take me to heaven. Take me to glory. And notice how God answers. Moses, I can't do that yet. Moses, I can't show you yet, but I will do this. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll I'll proclaim my name. I'll hide you in a cave in the rock, and I'll put my hand over your face, and I'll let you see again the the backside of my glory. I'll I'll keep doing for you, Moses, what I've been doing for you. But you're asking for heaven, and it's not time for you to go there yet. It's amazing. Probably if, if you were at Christmas time around your kids or your grandkids or maybe nephews or nieces, you heard this question a lot at the Christmas dinner table. Is it time yet? Can we open presents now? Did you hear that? If I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times during our Christmas festivities. Is it time yet? Is it time for presents? It's the thing that all the kids are looking forward to most. And you have to tell them over and over, no, it's dinner time right now. We're enjoying dinner with the family. We're enjoying dessert. We're enjoying the... Wait, presents will come. For right now, just take it as it comes. You know, enjoy each part of the Christmas as it unfolds. I love the fact that Moses, you know, the man of God who saw God, is like basically, God, is it time to open presents yet? Can't I, can't I for, for, for once, can't I now see it just straight up as it is, face to face? Can I see who you are? And God says, Moses, not time yet. I've got more to show you, but I'm showing you in a different way, in a way that's a little bit less glorious than it will be when you see me face to face. I'm going to show you, as it were, my backside. Hide you in the rock. Tell you about my character. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. I'm going I'm to show you what I'm like, my goodness. And you're going to have to take me at my word in, in the meantime. You're going to have to take me at my word and you're going to have to receive from me what I'm willing to give you now so that you can prepare for what you will one day have in the future. I want you to know that the Bible proclaims every Christian gets to have the same kind of experience that Moses had. Same one. 
If you have your Bible, I want to read you another section. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can listen along and maybe look this up later. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant or the Old Testament is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, to Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, listen to that, we all, every Christian, who with unveiled faces contemplate or think about or consider the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Show me your glory, Lord. And God says to us, I am. I've caused my goodness to be proclaimed in my word. Read my word. Contemplate my glory. Prepare your heart for the day when you'll see me face to face. Don't try to rush it. It'll come. You'll reach heaven. I will bring you there in my time and you will see it. But for right now, just focus on what I have given you. Read about me. Understand me. Get a heart for me. Thirst for me. Know that my gifts without my presence is nothing. Get hungry for me. Take your place in the cleft of the rock. Paul also says in Corinthians, that rock that followed the Israelites around and showed up time and again, that rock was Christ. And today, by faith, you and I get placed in the cave in the rock and shielded so that we can see the backsides of God's glory in preparation for the day when we will see him face to face. Here's the question this morning as we think about the new year, 2022. Are we going to live in the world like God's gifts or God's presence is the most important thing? (laughs) Because the ground zero of how you develop and grow as a Christian is to make that transition from God's gifts being the most important thing to you to himself. His presence. God, show me your ways. Give me your presence. Show me your glory. As the great uh, theologian Kenny Chesney says, everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. And that's what this is talking about, right? I mean, everybody says they want to go to heaven, but the real test of whether you are going to heaven and whether you really want to go there is whether you want to go now. And, and going now means you want God. You want Him in your life. Or, greater theologian, as Jesus said to, Ma- to Mary and Martha, Martha, you're busy about many things. 
But Mary chose the one thing necessary. (laughs) She chose me, my face, my presence, me to teach her my ways. Amen? Let's pray together this morning.